Hello and welcome to 10 by 9 where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran and this is the 10 by 9 podcast. It's great to be back after the short summer break. Wherever you are, I hope you've been having a lovely time. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope your winter is proving manageable. In case you've forgotten, Padraig Tuma and I started 10 by 9 in September 2011 in the Black Box in Belfast. And we love it. We have three amazing stories for you on this podcast, all from first-timers. 14 hours later, a rather queasy Kerry arrived in Kerry. Me and Aidan were both diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome as children, so there was only a select few people we can have a relaxed and open conversation with. Never in my life had I been that guy, the guy that drops his own life, jumps into a van to drive to the edge of some hellhole, offering help and support to people caught up in the middle of whatever. Okay, let's get going, and our three stories were all told in the black box on July 31st, when the theme was holiday. Opening the evening was Kerry Logan, and while there are one or two little F-bombs, they are very well used. I needed a holiday. I was 10 months into my year volunteering in a community with 20 other people from across the world. 10 months into living, working, socialising, drinking, eating, breathing in a house with 20 other people from across the world. It was wonderful, but boy was it intense. I needed a holiday. I had one precious week off that summer and looking for a cheap way to travel, decided to see what I could find on a website called WorkAway, which basically pairs people up with local hosts in their destination of choice. Hosts provide food and accommodation and in exchange you help out for a few hours a day with things like cooking, gardening and babysitting. My sister and I had been on a workaway holiday to Menorca a few years before, where we had spent a fortnight with Monica, who had grown up on the island. Monica welcomed us into her home, cooked us amazing Spanish food, gave us a sunset tour of her father's lighthouse, and took us to hidden beach upon hidden beach away from the throngs of tourists. In exchange, we helped out with her incredibly cute two-year-old twins for a couple of hours each afternoon which only added to the holiday. It was dreamy. This time I had my sights set a bit closer to home. I'd always wanted to explore the West Coast and despite my name had never made it to County Kerry. So I typed it into the search engine and couldn't quite believe my luck when a host popped up who ran a surf school there. In exchange for cooking evening meals, they would not only provide food and accommodation for the week, but also surf lessons. I had struck gold. I could picture it already. A week in the sea, learning to surf like a pro, with a family from Kerry whose accents would be so thick I could barely understand them, but whose warmth and humour would make me feel right at home. To top it all off, I love cooking, so that would only add to the trip. A month later, I set off. Now, when you're a student or a volunteer, your brain does this strange thing where it convinces you that the duration of a journey is never an issue as long as it's cheap. So, despite being prone to travel sickness, instead of hiring a car, I decided that I would take public transport from Ballycastle, where I was based on the north coast, to the Dingle Peninsula. 14 hours later, (laughs) 
a rather queasy Kerry arrived in Kerry. I could already tell it was worth it, though. The views were spectacular. The following day, I met my host, Rory, and two of his daughters who were around my age, Sophie and Rose. All right, Kerry, Rory greeted me. Rory wasn't from Kerry. His accent was thick, but it wasn't full of warmth and humour that made me feel immediately at home. Rory instructed me to use up the chicken in the fridge to make dinner and would do a food shop that evening. One whiff of that chicken and I could tell it had been there for a very long time. And when Rory insisted that it would be just fine, I had to put my foot down and throw it out. I could already tell this week was going to be an intense one and we did not need a grip dose of vomiting and diarrhea added to the mix. I managed to rustle up some veggie fajitas from what I could salvage from the fridge and we all sat down to our first meal together. Halfway through, Rory glanced over at me. Do you know what this could do with, he said, a salad. Would you like me to make you a salad, Rory, I said. Yes, came the response. Up I got, made a salad, and came back to the table to finish my dinner and give Rory his salad, which he barely touched. This was going to be a long week. As soon as we'd finished the meal, Rory told me we'd be leaving to do the food shop in 10 minutes, so I'd need to have the shopping list ready. I asked him if anyone had any dietary requirements, and he told me that Sophie, his youngest daughter, doesn't like spicy food. Grand. Quickly scribbled down a meal plan and the ingredients I'd need for the week. Off we headed to Lidl, gathered up everything on my list, and Rory and I unloaded it onto the till belt. This was no time for a health kick. Cheddar, mozzarella, milk, yogurt, butter, cream beeped through the scanner. We loaded everything back into the trolley, and as I rolled it out to the car, Rory turned to me and asked, Do you know Sophie's dairy intolerant? <laughs> no, Rory. No, I did not. That night, I decided I wouldn't set an alarm and I'd just have a wee lion in the morning. But I woke up with a jolt at the crack of dawn to a loud bang on my door. Get up, Kerry, we're going surfing, Rory shouted. I'm not a morning person, and I called out that I would just leave it for now and join next time. Don't be silly, Kerry. Get up and get in the van. Up I got, bundled myself into the van, and off we went. Arriving at the beach, Rory handed me and Sophie a surfboard each. Sophie gracefully ran off towards the sea, surfboard under arm in a seemingly effortless jog. I waddled. <laughs> and huffed and puffed and eventually dragged the board into the water. By the time I got to the sea, Rory and Sophie were already well out beyond the break of the waves, and they beckoned me to join. I paddled out, or attempted to paddle out, but the waves just kept pushing me back towards the shore. Paddle harder, Kerry, you're not fucking paddling hard enough, <laughs> came Rory's cry as another wave crashed into my face. The sea is usually my happy place, but even I couldn't help but wonder why the hell I was there, being yelled at, waves slapping my face, swallowing mouthfuls of salt water, all while still a little dazed, because 15 minutes ago I had been asleep in bed. 
Dinner that night actually went smoothly and despite the rocky start, the week somehow settled into a nice wee rhythm of cooking, exploring the stunning peninsula and failing to surf. The more time I spent with Rory, the more I found out about him. Perhaps unsurprisingly, as we drove past an abandoned beach hut one afternoon, he explained to me that his surf school used to have a second base there, but then they introduced minimum wage. I dread to think how much he'd been paying his staff. Some conversations, however, were more unexpected. Rory opened up to me about his life and his kids, and to be honest, it made a lot of sense why Rory was like, well, Rory. It was hard to tell what he made of me, but one afternoon I was out helping him with something in the garden and asked if he needed anything else done before I headed on for a walk. And he said, no, not at all. I was just enjoying hanging out with you, Kerry. I realized I had made a friend. By the final day of my trip, despite our growing friendship, Rory's impatience with my water sport ineptitude was also growing. This time I was windsurfing, which requires a mixture of upper body strength, balance, and hand-eye coordination. I have none of the above. Even the way I was holding the bar of the windsurf was apparently wrong. Rory was out on his speedboat, going from student to student, giving feedback on everyone's technique. And coming over to me, I was quite delighted that he had caught me at a moment where I'd actually managed to stay up for the past 60 seconds. But seeing my grip on the bar, Rory bellowed over, For fuck's sake, Kerry, you're windsurfing, you're not holding a fucking cock. (laughs) At which stage... I fell off my windsurf. (laughs) And as I plunged into the sea, I wondered what on earth the paying customers must think of Rory's teaching style. I laughed at just how far I was from the week I'd imagined, surfing like a pro, relaxed and restored my time with a family from Kerry, whose accents were so thick I could barely understand, but whose warmth and humor made me feel right at home. But mainly I smiled at what an unexpected friend I had made. Thank you. Kerry, thank you so much. I was almost expecting that to end with reader, I married him. But (laughs) who knows, maybe there will be a sequel. Thanks so much, Kerry, and come back soon. And if you think you have a story for 10 by 9 then get in touch through the submissions page on our website, which is 10x9.com. We are always, always looking for storytellers. Or you can contact us through our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Even if it's only a smidgen of an idea, we'll help you to bring it to fruition. Okay, next up is Anna Small. Hi. Bit nervous, so bear with me. <laughs> When I say me and my brother, Aiden, went everywhere together, I mean this literally. My younger brother looks a lot like me. He shares my deep blue eyes and my facial structure, but he has redder hair than me. Uh, Aiden has a quiet, kind and caring nature. He's very intelligent and very stubborn. We traveled between our mum and dad's when we were younger. Our mum's during the week and our dad's during the weekend. 
Then there were holidays, uh, Christmas, Boxing Day and New Year's. At Christmas, we would stay with one of our parents on Christmas Eve and with the other on Christmas Day. And then it was the same at New Year's. The first holiday memory I have with my brother was in a hotel room with Aiden as a baby. I was sitting in a chair holding Aiden and I was hugging Aiden so tight that his face turned into a human beacon. <laughs> Me and Aiden were, were lucky enough to go on quite a few holidays with both sides of our family. Our mum took us to Blackpool, um, Haven Holiday Cap Camp in Scotland and Ennis. We went to Wales and Scotland with our mum's side of the family and to Spain, Turkey and Brazil with my dad and his late wife and her daughter. As adults, we went to Glasgow on our own. It was our trial run to see how we fared on our own. Our mum was is particularly overprotective, so it was to put her mind at ease as well before we went before we go further afield. It went well. We only got lost once. <laughs> Although this led me to, to declaring war against Google Maps. <laughs> this conflict was resolved though without any casualties, as Aidan taught me how to use Google Maps, which is child's play for my tech-savvy brother. While we were in Glasgow, we went on the hop-on and hop-off bus tour. And we got off at a few places like Glasgow Science Centre and the Glasgow Social History Museum. Last month, we brought my cat Missy with us to Manchester. Missy was the most popular out of the three of us as I carried, <laughs> as I carried her about in, our, in her backpack and sat with her on her harness and extendable lead one afternoon in Piccadilly Gardens, where there was a Ukrainian rally, which was nice to see. The one thing in common between Glasgow and Manchester trip was the warm weather. The warm weather makes the air have a certain smell, like it itself was being baked by the sunlight. The warm weather also brought lots of people to the grass areas in both cities, like moths to the flame. Both cities also have a beautiful balance of old and new buildings. You can see the historical timeline of the cities displayed in front of your eyes. My favourite part of our trip to Manchester and Glasgow was the constant jabbering of Aidan everywhere we went. Me and Aidan were both diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome as children, so there was only a select few people we can have a relaxed and open conversation with. Our social skills have improved over the years, but socialising is still difficult at times for the both of us. So the fact that Aidan can talk freely and confidently to me makes me both proud of him and also the way that, well, just with his condition, um, well, it shows that he didn't let it define him, that he pushed through, you know, all the social barriers and, yeah. So there, uh, sorry. <laughs> 
And it also made me feel special, as I am one of the few people he can talk to. Aidan's jabbering consists of questions about anything from religious to scientific to political to what someone meant by what they said or wrote. He would also tell me about updates on social media, about an upcoming video game or TV series. And he also likes to guess and ask me to guess what our pets' opinions on something would be (laughs) or what they are doing or saying. Although when he did this, when I was trying to solve a problem during our trips, like finding our way when we were lost, or find a mode of transport when I thought we missed the last tour bus. My feelings were quite different. <laughs> I was short with Aiden, and Aiden took it badly. Our f- fights started off with snapping at each other and then developed into intense silence. After stewing on our angry thoughts for half an hour, we had apologized to each other. Through our travels together, we have that unique bond where we can talk about anything and ask each other anything about them without any judgment corny yes i know but it's true yes we have had our fights but they always ended i want to thank you Aiden, for being the best brother i could ever ask for for always being there and having my back in every battle also on behalf of both of us i want to thank our mum who is here tonight over there We, um, we couldn't have gotten a better mum. I also like to thank our dad for the wonderful times we spent together. Sorry, I missed a bit. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to thank our mum for bringing us up pretty much single-handedly in a loving and safe home. Uh, thank you for listening to our story and making it through the corny ending. Thanks very much, Anna. Thank you so much, Anna. That was a magnificent achievement. It takes a lot of nerve for anyone to get up in front of an audience. So, well done. Also, I really wanted to include Anna's story, as 10 by 9 has always been about giving the unheard a voice. And I wanted everyone to experience the love and support coming from that audience. It's why we love 10 by 9 so much, and there is no audience like a 10 by 9 audience. Tambanine is always free and always will be, but if you want to support us, you can give via Patreon or PayPal. Links at the website. We're so thankful to everyone who has. Another way to help out is give us a rating, takes a second, or a kindly review, takes 20 seconds, wherever you get your podcasts. Podrick and I would love you forever. Mostly, though, we're just grateful to have you listening. Okay, on to our third and final story. And here's Kenny Campbell. On the 24th of February 2022, I awoke, like many others around the world, to the news of the military invasion into Ukraine. Images of mothers and fathers fleeing their homes and trying to get their terrified children to safety flooded into the TV screen of my kitchen. I did watch with my usual disconnect, 
um, my wife, my children, they're eight and five, were sat around the table eating their breakfast, squabbling over something petty and safe from any harm. As the first days of the invasion beamed into my kitchen, I began to feel something different. It was subtle at first, it was like a knot in my stomach. But I sat and I waited for the next atrocity to be beamed into my kitchen. By the end of April, I could take it no more. I was losing sleep, I was getting anxious, and without me even noticing, my own demons had returned with a vengeance. My wife, who has spent the last 14 years patching me up, propping me up, and keeping the whole show running, instinctively knew that I needed to do something. By chance, an opportunity to join a humanitarian aid convoy to the Ukraine had presented itself to me. That same refugee camp in Medica in Poland that I'd been spending weeks on the TV watching was suddenly now just a 1,600 mile drive away. Never in my life had I been that guy, the guy that drops his own life, jumps into a van to drive to the edge of some hellhole, offering help and support to people caught up in the middle of whatever political mess had boiled over. To be honest, I blame my wife. My wife, Lisa, is perfect in every way. She is beautiful, she's intelligent, she's always right. She's obviously got a hold of my laptop at some stage here as well. <laughs> but it was becoming clear to me that as well as mending me physically over the years, she'd been working away at my edges, showing me a different way, showing me how family life is supposed to be, and that it's okay to feel compassion and empathy for others others outside of my usually fiercely guarded inner circle. So with her blessing and full support, I quickly pulled together a plan. I contacted a friend of mine called Jared to make him an offer he couldn't refuse. I said, Jared, how do you fancy going to Ukraine? To his credit, he didn't miss a beat. He simply replied, when do we leave, son? And it was that day that Lisa told me, you're doing a good thing here, Kenny. And when you do do it, you will know. So my wife packed three bags for me to personally give to exhausted, frightened people who were just through the border and into the refugee camp. One was a bag filled with all the things a woman would be in desperate need of, as well as a few treats. The other was a bright pink rucksack filled with the wants of a nearly nine-year-old girl. And the last one was a bright blue little rucksack. This bright blue little rucksack was packed with the toys and clothes and treats that any five-year-old would just go crazy for. I watched as Lisa tenderly packed the bag, as she would if she packed the bag of my own five-year-old son. Of course, he was trying to help her, which I'm sure you can imagine wasn't helping in the slightest. He insisted that the head of a T-Rex dinosaur remained poking out the top of the bag. He said he wanted the little boy from Ukraine to know that right at the top of the bag was a dinosaur just waiting to be played with. Fast forward four days and 1,600 miles and I had made it, not unsurprisingly, if you'd ask my wife, to the front of a 10-kilometer queue of traffic, all trying to move through the Ukrainian-Polish border. But honestly, that feat of magic was nothing to do with me, but that was achieved by my friend Jared, a hard-working man toughened by a life born, bred, and raised in the heart of West Belfast. And as I found out for the first time on that trip, you don't mess with Westies. Now at the border, the true scale and reality of the tragedy I'd watched on my TV screen was laid bare right in front of my eyes. Uh, this story is not about what Jared and I saw that day, but I know I must tell you of two things. 
For Jared, the sight of a small boy about three years old pulling a suitcase as big as he was over rough ground. His head was down and he was crying and he looked to be beyond exhausted. The little boy's mother was just in front of him and she was also laden down with everything that she had left in the world. She was crying and didn't even have a spare hand to hold in comfort that of her crying three-year-old son. For me, it was the sight of a makeshift washing line outside of a shelter made of a blue tarpaulin and some rope and hanging from the washing line with just two pieces of clothing, a pair of trousers and a top that could have only fitted a newborn baby. There is a large white tent next to the exit of the refugee camp and it sits right next to a line of coaches that are parked and ready to leave. Once refugees have been processed, they've had some water and some hot food, they can rest in the tent until they can get on the coach that will take them away to start their new life. I walked into this tent and in the corner I saw a mother sitting with her daughter. The daughter looked to be about eight or nine, the same age as my little girl. I could see that they had very little with them and I approached the mother and as I did she asked me if I had somewhere that she could go to to take them away. I said that I didn't and she looked crestfallen but I explained that if she was to give me just another minute of her time I had something else for her. I explained that I had a daughter who was nearly nine and that my wife had put together two bags, one for her and one for her daughter. Her mum translated and the little girl's face lit up and she quickly jumped up to take it and place it on her back. As I gave the mother her bag from my wife, I explained the care that had been taken into packing it so it would be as useful as possible to her as a mum and a woman. It was at that very moment that everything made sense to me. I finally understood what drove people to go out of their way to help complete strangers for no reward, for no reason, other than just to reach out and say, we are with you and you're gonna be okay. It was the most enriching moment of my life and one that I hold dear to me for the rest of my days. I suddenly remembered what my wife had said to me just before I left, and as it turns out, she was right again. The last thing to do before I left the camp was find a little five-year-old boy to give him this bright blue little rucksack with a dinosaur head poking out of the top. Given the security situation in the camp, it was obvious, and if I'm honest, very, very reassuring, that I would not be able to simply walk up to the five-year-old boy and start talking to him. But I had promised Lisa I would find him and make sure that he knew that somewhere in the world, although miles away, there was a mum thinking of him and hoping against all hope that he would survive all of this tragic mess and grow up to be the fine young man he was destined to be. As I walked through the refugee camp, I found another large white tent, the inside of which was filled with bright colours, toys, children's drawings, and sadly, several cots and kiddies' beds lined up in the middle of the floor. Behind a makeshift table and a washing station was a woman, clearly in charge of the tent and its occupants. I explained why I was there and why I had this bright blue rucksack, and she seemed genuinely moved by the story and agreed to find the perfect little boy for me to make sure he got the rucksack. She even took my number and promised that she would forward me a photo of the little fella with his new bag of toys. I had to keep faith in her promise and reluctantly left the bag with her, but I was torn. Torn because I had promised my wife that I would deliver it myself, and instead I was forced to rely on the word of a stranger. More importantly, I had to trust that she would send me a photo 
so that I could show my wife that I had fulfilled my promise to her. At 6 p.m. on Saturday, the 21st of May, 2022, Jared and I set off back to Northern Ireland. It was now Monday and day three of the return trip. And unfortunately, there had been no, nothing from the refugee worker who had promised to send me this picture. My wife had asked a few times over the course of the last couple of days if I'd received any pictures, and each time that I said that I hadn't, I could feel her deflate. I had by now resigned myself to the fact that it wasn't going to happen. Still the same Monday, and now half past six, I am driving back to Holyhead Harbour in Wales. I felt my phone vibrate, and I looked to see what it was. I was in the passenger seat, by the way, just in case there's any peelers in here. <laughs> a plus three three number has sent a WhatsApp, and I could see that it was an image, but I had to open it to see what it was. There was first a written message, which read, the pictures are not really good, but this little kid and his mum were super happy and thankful. They left with a huge smile and gave me a big, big hug that I forward to you. Thank you, your little boy, and the mum for this. It was really awesome and definitely spreaded happiness. Below these heartwarming words were two images. In each of them was a mother who had just arrived through the Ukraine border into the Medica refugee camp. And with her, with her was a little boy, no older than five, who looked exhausted and weary, yet wearing a huge grin on his dusty and drawn face. He didn't appear to have anything with him, except that is for two things, one in each hand. In his right hand was a sandwich, no doubt provided to him by the humanitarian worker who had taken my number, an earth angel that had worked tirelessly to help hundreds of thousands of other Ukrainian children in the same position as this little boy. In the other hand, and what I hope was the cause of a huge grin, was a bright blue little rucksack with the head of a T-Rex still poking out the top. Thanks so much, Kenny, for an amazing story. And I shall put the photo of boy and dinosaur on social media. Thank you. And that is it for this podcast. You can keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Also email, which is story at 10by9.com or via our website, which is 10by9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes. And please, if you can, tell as many people as you can about the podcast. It is the best way to get us noticed. And don't forget, maybe a wee review or a rating. Thanks to the lovely people at The Black Box, our wonderful, amazing audience, and all our storytellers, but especially Kerry Logan, Anna Small, and Kenny Campbell. I'm Paul Doran, and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye-bye. <laughs>